So uh, we all worship something, right? We all worship something. That was uh, uh, made clear by J.K. Rowling in one of her books, Harry Potter. Any Harry Potter fans out there? Uh, no. Okay, there's one hand. Good. I know there's more. Uh, in one of the books, there was a scene where when, when Harry Potter got his invisible cloak, he used that cloak and went to go find a mirror. All right? This mirror was important. Uh, this mirror was um, not like any others. You didn't see your reflection. Instead, you saw what you desired in life. In Harry Potter, when he goes and he looks at this mirror of Erisad, he looks and he sees the longing of his heart. What Harry longed for more than anything else was a loving family. He didn't know his parents. His parents had died. He was raised by someone who barely you know, tolerated him. So what he desired was his family, a loving family, and that's what he saw in this mirror. Out of excitement, he went to go find his friend, Ron Weasley, and said, Ron, I want you to see my family. I'm so excited to show you this. And he brings Ron, and Ron looks in the mirror, but Ron doesn't see his family because it shows what he desired. And what he desired was to be a Quidditch you know, champion. Uh, it's one of their sports that they played, if you're not familiar with that. But he had two remarkable brothers. He was very unremarkable, and he had this desire to stand out as a sports champion, and that's what he saw. And so their mentor, Dumbledore, comes in and, and talks to Harry and says, Harry, here's the deal, that many people have wasted their lives away just looking in this mirror, just looking at their desires, and they forget to live and he says, we're going to move this mirror because I want you to live your life. But just that, that thought. She doesn't say the word worship. She uses the word desire. But what you desire deepest in your heart is the thing that you worship. And he says that some people, they, they worship something and they can't get their mind off of it. And, they, and, and it'll cause them to go mad, cause them to go crazy trying to get it or regretting that they don't have it. To turn this around to what we're talking about today is that we all worship something, and some of us uh, worship the wrong things. And those things can, uh, can make us go crazy. But there's one thing that we are to worship. There's one thing, and that's God. God and His holiness, to be able to worship Him. And if we were to look in this mirror, my desire would be for all of you to see yourselves resting with God, being with him, being protected by him, caring for him, being with him for eternity. This summer, we have been looking at the Psalms. We've been going through these different Psalms, and today we're in Psalm 95. Uh, Carla read that for us, and uh, I would encourage you to open up your Bibles or your, your phones or whatever to find it. But it's, it's a fascinating Psalm in that it's not like many others, that it it starts with this uh, call to worship, right? Come, let us worship. Let's worship with our singing. Let's worship with joy and thankfulness, all right? And he talks about uh, God being our shepherd and all of that. That's good and what we'd expect in the Psalms. But then it turns, right? The end of verse 7 and verse 8. Then it goes to like almost like kind of a darker place. It's a warning. It's a strong warning. And he says, listen, you got to listen up. Do not be like your fathers. Do not harden your hearts. Don't test God. 
don't make him angry with refusing to come and worship him. Don't make him angry by, by continuing to complain against him. And it says that as the, the father, the, your early fathers, the ones that came out of Egypt, who were being led to the promised land, God was taking care of them. He was, he was going to provide for them all the way to the promised land where they would be able to find rest. No longer slaves, but be able to rest in their land. On the way, the people doubted God. They said, you're not going to take care of us. You're not going to provide for us. And their complaints against God that turned him to anger. And he says, you're not going to enter my rest. And that's how the psalm ends. Just saying, out of my anger, they will not enter my rest. And there's this like, question that's, that he's begging us to answer. That you have to answer. I can't answer it for you. You have to. Are you going to live a life of hardness and rebellion and, and worship your own things? Or are you going to come and see God who he is and trust him and come under his care and worship him and therefore find rest? What do you choose? How will you live? My encouragement to you is that we would be men and women who would seek God, that we would give him our hearts We would worship him, learn how to worship him, learn how to trust, grow in that relationship. And that we would find rest right now, but we'd find that eternal rest that he gives us. So that is our psalm today. We're going to worship him because he's made the world. He's made us. He's put us in it. We're not going to harden our hearts. We're not going to complain. We're not going to keep our own wanderings. But we're going to come under his care, follow his voice, and enter his rest. That's my encouragement to you today. So in our sermon today, we're going to look at three questions. How do we worship? Why do we worship? And then what is the result of worship? Those three things. So how do we worship? That's where we'll start. Okay? Easy enough. Good? How do we worship? Well, I'd say this. The church maybe has done a disservice to a lot of us, that when we, we use this word worship, we, we use it very broadly, right? Uh, we use it as we just sang worship songs. And so sometimes we think, if we're not careful, if we don't think about it, we just think of what is worship? It's the songs we sing. We just worship. Worship began with the first song and ended with the fourth song. That was our worship. But that's, that's not, that's, that's part of worship, but that's not all of worship, Right? We also maybe do a disservice when we say that this is our worship service. So the 75 minutes that you're in here, this is your time of worship. But on minute 76, when you're out the door, we cease to worship. We don't worship on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but we come back on Sunday and then we worship again. But is that what worship is? Right? No. No, we we use those terms, but what we, what we need to understand is worship is all of our lives. It's what happens in here. It's what happens when we sing, but it happens on Monday through Friday when you're at your job. You can definitely worship God at your job. You can definitely worship him while you're going to practice or driving the kids to their practice or whatever you're doing, picking up the house, cleaning the house, doing dishes, making dinner, all these areas 
are times of worship because worship is encompassing. So what is it? You can define worship a lot of different ways, but it's to adore God. It's to encounter Him and to give Him praise. It's all of our lives, all day long, an opportunity to worship God with our thoughts, with our actions, with our words, our behaviors. It's connecting the outward, what we do, with our hearts. And letting our hearts and our outward uh, behavior match as we sing praises to God, as we worship Him for who He is. So we, we, we need to learn how to adore God, but, but we get our cues from Scripture. Okay, we, we cannot just do it on our own and say, well, this is what I think God wants us to do. This is how I think He wants us to worship. Uh, that's what so much of uh, the experience when the Israelites were in the desert, when they left Egypt, before they went into the promised land, they didn't make the straight little you know, go straight from Egypt to the promised land, they were taking their time because that's what God was doing. He's saying, I want to explain to you through these Old Testament books, these ones in the beginning of our Bible, that are sometimes we go like, what in the world is he going talking about? He's saying, I'm teaching you how to worship me. I'm showing you what it means to worship me. And we see that we don't always do it right. We make up our own ways to doing it. We saw that right in the very beginning of the Bible. And in chapter 4 of Genesis, Cain said, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to worship him how I want. And he brings him some fruit. We don't have a lot of details on that. Some fruits, vegetables. And God was not pleased with his worship. Abel, on the other hand, he brought the first fruits and God was pleased with his. But we just see right from the beginning that just all worship is not the same. We got to learn from God what he wants as we worship. In, in Isaiah chapter 1, and I'm sure many other places, he talks to the people and he says, yeah, you worship me outwardly. You do all the festivals, you do all the feasts, you do the things I want, but your hearts are so far from me. Your hands are covered with blood. The inside does not match the outside, and that is not what I want. Jesus talks later on to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, you guys, you guys got the worship down. You do all the right thing. You read all the Psalms and all the scriptures. You're, you're in the synagogue and you're in the temples all the time. It looks like you're doing a great job, but this is where he sheds light on them. He says it's, it's like a, a mug on the outside. is all nice and clean and shiny. It looks good. The picture is nice. When the inside is just yuck, it's gross. It's, nobody would want to drink from that mug. Maybe you've seen that around your office, you know, the person who never uh, really rinses the inside and never cleans it, and it's just coffee stain after coffee stain. I wouldn't want to drink out of that. He says, you guys are like the tombs. You're, the outside of the tomb is all shiny and clean, all white and pearly, but inside it's a rotting corpse. He says, that's what your guys' worship is, because you haven't taken cues from me. You take your own cues. Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Because I don't want us to be a congregation that worships him in vain. That does all the right things. You know, it looks good. We come on time and we, you know, we sing, we praise and all that. But our hearts are far from him. We have no desire to submit to him or come to him to glorify him. We just do all the right things. So that's what we're supposed to do. Jesus is very, very clear. But that amounts to nothing. In fact, from what this psalm says, that amounts to God's anger. 
So how do we avoid God's anger? And how do we worship him the right way? Well, the Bible gives us all kinds of ideas. There's so much in there and always showing us how to worship him. But I'm going to stick just to this psalm, Psalm 95. And I see four different ways that we are to, uh, to worship him. We're going to worship him with our emotions, with our will, with our reason, and we're going to do it corporately. Okay? So let's look at those, those things real quick. Uh, worship him with your emotions. Verses 1 and 2. See how it starts. He says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us, let us shout to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Right? You see the picture there. It's very, it's like, I don't know if emotion is the best way, but it's with our bodies, with our emotions. There's joy in there. There's thanksgiving. There's loudness. There's cheer. They're singing songs. They're raising their voices. They're giving God loud praise. It's not just singing loud, you know, turning the, the amp up a little bit louder. It's like they were raising their voices. They were making noise. I was in here when many of you entered, and I didn't hear anybody come in here like shouts of joy, right? Woohoo! Yeah! So happy to be here. But I, I've seen you when you go to the Duck games, Angel games, Laker games, you know, foam fingers, high-fiving, Otani's pitching, he's going to win, you're singing your little songs. I know how it is, right, when you, when you enter there, but it's that kind of a thing. He's kind of saying, I want you to raise your voices, be excited, because you get to worship God. Some of you guys are going back to school this week, maybe next week, and you're, you're getting excited, aren't you? You're singing your fight song, and you're, you're walking down the hallway, getting your clothes out, getting ready. Am I right or am I wrong? I, I might be wrong on that. I don't know. But the point he says is when you come into worship, like come with some joy. Right? We're, we're very reserved here, you know. We, and that's part of our culture, all that. That's okay. But it's, it's okay to let your emotions come out. It's okay to raise your hands, guys. It is okay. It is in the Bible. We can do that. You don't have to, right? I'm not forcing anybody to, but there's, what I'm saying is it's okay to bring some emotion into the worship. There's, uh, there's some churches that are very much there. They, they are very emotional and they bring it, right? And there's some other uh, churches that would say, ooh, that, that's, that's, uh, that's not right. We're, we're not going to worship with our emotions. We're going to worship them with our right thinking, you know, very, very clear and precise. I get that. I get that. But I think just, just when we just sit, just sit with it. And just like, what is God speaking? And just saying, I want you to just bring your bodies into worship. Bring your hearts. Bring your emotion. Let all of that come through. And worship God with what he's given us. And he's given us our emotions. Both the good and the, and the hard ones too, right? But let's bring those into worship. So he says, let's, let's come that way. Come to the Lord with shouts of joy. But then he continues, verse 6, I'll skip just a little bit and I'll come back to that. But he says, verse 6, he says, come again, now come again, and now we're going to worship again. But he says this, he says, now let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Very different, right? Here we see we're, we're worshiping God with our, with our will. Okay? Um, that word's not quite there, but it's, it's coming and it's, it's, it's getting on our knees 
submitting to him, having this humble heart and submitting our will to him. This whole idea of submission, it means to come under, to come under his authority. So when we come and worship, we, we're not coming over his authority. That would be to worship ourselves, which we do enough. <laughs> We've done through our lives. We know that. But when we, we're talking, we're coming under his authority. And, and he says, come and bend your knee, right? Bow your knee, kneel before him. When we humble ourselves physically, it guides our hearts in that. Now, again, we are not a, uh, a we don't have a culture, tradition of, of kneeling a lot in worship. We don't have the knee, uh, you know, kind of kneelers in the pews. We don't do that. I do remember uh, a time when I was younger, and uh, I remember this very distinctly. The, the worship leader, maybe he read the psalm or one like it, and he said, hey, today, instead of standing, we're going to kneel. Everybody's going to get on their knees and kneel. And that, that was like the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And so that's maybe why I remember it. But I remember, you know, I was probably junior high, maybe high school, and I remember kneeling, and we did the whole song uh, on our knees. And then he said, okay, now you can get back up and sit down. And uh, no problem for me. I was young. I got up. But what we realized, like three minutes later, half the congregation's like, I don't know how to get. <laughs> I can't get up. You know, can I get a hand here? And, you know, they're up the ones on the balcony, you know, it's kind of layered. They're kind of like rolling into the pew in front of them, like easier to do that. It, was, it got stuck, you know. And so I just remember like we never did that again. <laughs> the pews were too close. We weren't built for that. But I like the heart. I like the heart in it. You know, there's something about it. There's something about getting comfortable being on our knees before the Lord. So whether it's in here, you have the freedom to do that. If Daryl says stand and you want to kneel, go for it. It's okay. If you're at home and, and you just need to, to focus, getting on your knees is a great way that helps that focus. Do it. It's just this posture of submitting our will to him. That's what we mean when we say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, your, your will be done in my life. I'm coming under you. So I'll do that. I'll submit my will to you. Why? Because he's our maker. He's our maker. He made us. Let's come under him and submit to him. So right here we see this worshiping God with our emotions. We see it uh, worshiping uh, him with our will, submitting our will. I'll keep going here. I'll say this. Worship God with our, our reason. With our minds, with our intellect that he's given us. It says this in, in verse 7, at the end of verse 7. He says, today, right, today, if only you would hear his voice. If only you would hear his voice. And, and you might stop and say, well, what does that have to do with our reason? But that whole concept of hearing in, this, in the Old Testament particularly, but even in the New Testament, when you hear God's voice, it's not just like, oh, I hear you, cool. It's, it's obeying it. It's hearing it. It's saying, I hear you. I'm, I'm thinking it through. I'm understanding. I'm listening. And, I'm, and ultimately, I'm obeying you. I'm going I'm to hear what you said. I'm going to think it through. And I'm going to let it flow through into obedience. So he says, when you hear his voice, not if you hear, but when you hear, listen and obey. Think it through. He goes on, and we'll get to this in a few minutes, but he goes on now to give the argument. He says, here's what I want you to listen. Don't 
don't be like your forefathers, your grandparents and all that, that didn't listen. They didn't, it wasn't that they just didn't listen. They didn't obey. So don't be like them. Think it through. Think rationally. Use your mind that God gave you. And, and come to that point of saying, yes, I got it. I'm going to listen. I'm going to obey. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to follow. And guys, we, some people say, oh, Christianity is just a, just a religion of faith. And it certainly is. Right? There's a whole element of faith that we're not ever going to understand. We're not going to get and We just got to jump out in faith. But we use our minds all the time. As we're confronted with, you know, two situations, a temptation, should I go, you know, fall into the temptation or not? We're using our minds, recalling Scripture, thinking about what God wants, and then we're making an action to either disobey or to obey. So worship, as we kind of put all this together, it's, it's, it's not just a singing a song or a worship service. It's all of these things where we come and we bring our emotions to the Lord and we submit our will to him and we say, Lord, you've given us this mind. I'm going to use this mind for the glory of God to follow you and learn from you and, and, and obey you. So all of these things happen throughout our days. That's why I can say you can worship the Lord when you're at work or school, wherever the Lord has you during the week. You're at home, whatever you're doing, it's perfect time to worship as we continue to give him our emotions, submit our will, to use our mind to bring him glory. Now, I just got to remind us that just um, it, what really matters is the heart. It's like we can, it's not just the singing a song. Anybody can sing a song. Anybody can quote scripture. Anybody can think through some theology. But it's, it's all of these things that change the heart. Heart change is what we're going after, what Jesus desires. So we, this is where you got to be careful because I can't see your heart. I don't know. Your neighbor can't see your heart, but you know your heart. Are you worshiping just just because you're here, just because somebody told you you should, just because your parents are, are, are making you? Or are you saying, Lord, I, I, I wanting to give more of my heart to you? And it's a long process. It doesn't happen like that. Just submitting to him is an act daily that we do. And it's like, Lord, I want to submit to you. I'm going to do it as much as I can today. And I hope I can do it even more tomorrow and more the day after that because I'm in this. I'm in. All right, the last thing. We talked about emotions, will, reason. The last thing is community. We might skip over this a little bit because it's not right there punching in the face, but it's there. It's, it's the pearl pronouns that he uses. Look at, I'll look at verses, let's see, 1 and 2, 6 and 7. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Verse 6, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, for he's our God, and we are the people of his pasture. You see the words there. It's not just individualistic. Let me come and worship. And listen, I, I want you to develop an individual um, habit of devotion and, and worship. Like I, It is important, right, that you as an individual learn how to, um, you know, read God's words, study, pray, but 
uh, obedient, being obedient to him, follow him. And that's important on an individual level. But all of that feeds into this, the corporate level, whether it's this church, it's a small group, a, a Bible study, wherever it is, it's being together. And that's been a tough one, right? I mean, over the last couple of years, right? COVID was just this whole, the, the nature of it was isolating. And that was hard for some of us, wasn't it? That you felt, I mean, some of us are like, praise the Lord, I'm by myself, like, right? Uh, <laughs> that's how I am, that's, why, that's how I'm wired. But I think for most of us, even to a point where like, oh, I'm missing the community, I'm missing each other. I, I talked to so many um, pastors that they're like, hey, you know, the cool thing that came out of COVID was live streaming and, and videos and all that. The thing that we hate most is live streaming and videos, you know, because it's just given people just an excuse just to say, oh, I'm just going to stay at home today and miss the community. Yeah, they hear the sermon. Yeah, they're, they're, they're part of that. I mean, for some, it's really important, right? Health reasons or whatever, like, I, we're going to keep it for that. That's great. People on vacations, I hope that when you're on vacation, you can watch us. I think that's great. But, um, but it's, it's easy for us just to get caught and just say, you know, I, we're just going to watch it at home. We don't really need the community. But we do need the community. We need each other. Because it's in the community that we pray for each other. We know each other's needs. If you're not here, we, how do we, know, we don't know how to pray. Uh, it's in the community that we encourage each other. It's in the community that we, we hear each other's stories. We see the growth that's happening. In the community is where we can use our gifts that God has given us. So let's learn how to worship at home, privately. But please, please, let's also learn how to do this. And, and that's the important thing. Like, we've got to learn this. It doesn't always come natural. Because we... It's very easy for us just to kind of look around and say, you know, I, no, I, don't, I don't need to get to know that person or whatever. I, I'm okay. Or I can just leave early and skip out, whatever. We have to learn how to come in community, how to share our stories, listen to other stories, care for them, have compassion and all of that. So it's something we do need to learn as part of our worship. But all of this comes together. Now, how do we worship? with everything we have, all the time, and together. Okay, that was the big part. Let me move quickly to these next two. You know, why do we worship? That's the next. What do we learn from this psalm about why to worship? One, because God is great and worthy of praise. Look at verse 3. It says, for, for this is why. He says, come and worship, right? Lift up your voice. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hands is the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands form the dry land. You see that first definition, how he describes God. He says, for he's a great God, right? And he's, he's the king, right? He's the king above all gods. And so you see this majesty. And he's saying, worship him because he's made everything. He's made this earth from the sea to the dry land, to the heights, the depths, everything. Mount Everest at 29,000 feet to this gulf over by Guam. It's like the deepest kind of trench in the world. It's like 32,000 feet deep. If you took Everest and put it in there, Everest would still be like a, a mile underwater. It's incredible. God's made all this for us to enjoy. A couple nights ago, we were here late at, at church. We walked out and 
We just we saw this is just a beautiful sunset over here. And you're just like, oh, what a beautiful sunset. And you know how it is. You see, you get you caught sometimes unaware about the beauty that's around us. You see those flowers, the bird, or whatever it is. And it's just through this reminder of God made these, these are his, and he made it for us. I'm gonna worship him because he's a great and mighty God that made this for us. It's beautiful. So that's one reason why we do it, because he's great and mighty. But it gets a little more personal. It gets close. Look in verse 7. This is where, where he says, now come and, and worship and bow your knee. He says, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Yes, that's where it gets personal. Yeah, he's great. He's made everything wonderful. Let's worship him. But beautiful the beautiful part is he's come near us he says i'm not just a great god i'm your god i'm yours and more specifically i'm your shepherd you're in my pasture you're under my care so that was a problem with the israelites back then God said, you're my flock, you're in my pasture. And they said, no, 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 we want to be in another pasture. We want to go back to Egypt. That pasture was better. Where we were slaves was better than here. And that's, that's what we talk about with worship. We're always looking for a different pasture. Oh, I want that pasture. That one's nice. Oh, no, I want that one over there. We're never satisfied with the pasture that we are in. We're in God's pasture. But we think, well, if I had a pasture with more money, less sheep, more money, I'd be better off. I'd be so happy. You guys see the news this week that someone won the, uh, the lotto, right? Uh, $1.3 billion. I wonder if that person's pasture is any better right now. Now, sure, they can buy a lot of different things, right? Uh, some of us would be just like, oh, I don't need a billion, but can I just have, you know, a little you know, a million would be great, right? We get that. I, I understand. But I, I'm pretty sure that that person's pastor is not any better. That now, you know, I, I was talking with some friends, you know, and they're like, the first thing they got to do is change their number, you know. They got to move away. All their friends are going to be asking, come on, come on, come on, help me out, help me out. And that's what I've read when some people, you know, they win these lotteries. Their friends just turn on them and get bitter. Like, come on, that's all you're going to give me? You know, just $1,000? I know you got more than that. And it changes things. So I don't know about who the person is. Uh, I don't know anything about them. But I wonder if that pastor is going to get better. I wonder if that, they're going to receive that same kind of care from the money. Or fame. Or whatever it is. But God's saying, I, not only am I near you, but I'm caring for you. I'm going to watch out for you. Whatever you need, I'll be there. You are in my pasture. Jesus picks up on this. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I'm the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. You're not getting that from any other pasture. There's no other shepherd that's going to do that for you. So let's stop fighting and saying, I want more, I want more of this, and just learn how to rest and just know God's got us. He got us. That's why we worship, because we have a great God who loves us, who's near to us. 
So what's the result? What's the result of worship? Not that we need it, really, but God's saying, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you more than you need. The result is rest. Rest. Just being able to rest in him. He says this in verse, the end of 7 and 8 and through the rest of the chapter. This is that, you know, where it kind of changes. He says, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, where they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, these are a people whose hearts go astray, not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. That's the point. They will never enter my rest, but you can. You can. If you don't harden your hearts, if you don't seek the other pastor and try to find another shepherd, if you are satisfied and content saying, this is a shepherd who knows me and loves me, he's given me everything I need, more than everything I need, I'm thrilled to be here, I'm going to just turn my life to worship him and know him and receive that love, you enter rest. I would argue rest now just having a peace around you, not being so anxious or spun up on different things, but just having calmness and peace. I would say there's a part of that. But certainly he's pointing towards this eternal rest. This eternal rest, this eternal life where we get to enjoy and be with our Lord. This whole Bible story is about rest. If you've been paying attention to our sermon series through Psalms, we've, uh, I think this is the fifth one we've done. I think almost everyone, if not all, they've had this element of rest, right? Be still and know, dwell with the Lord in his home, rest in him. But this whole idea of rest, it's not new, it's not just in the Psalms. We see it from the very, very beginning, and you've probably missed it. Right, when it says when God created Adam, this is Genesis 2, he says he created Adam, and our translation says, and he put him in the garden. But if you look at the, the words and the more accurate, it says God rested him in the garden. He rested him in there. And we see this as we go through the Bible story. Jesus, God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm resting with you. I'm dwelling with you in the tabernacle. And then later on, I'm, I'm resting with you in the temple. And when you come to worship, you are coming into my rest. This is this whole concept that we Americans, we are not good at that. And I'm the first to admit that. I'm the first to admit I have a lot to do. I have a lot to understand rest, what it means to rest with him. But this whole concept of just letting go of the works and coming under Jesus, letting him do the works of our salvation and resting in him and then just delighting in him. That's the story of what Jesus did. We're going to celebrate communion in just a few minutes. The beautiful thing about communion is that the work has been done. Jesus did the work. He did the work on the cross. He lived the perfect life. That's the hardest thing. That's what we couldn't do. We could not work hard enough to live the perfect life. But he did. And he took our sins on the cross. We couldn't do that. No way. 
And he suffered. He died. He rose again. The work is done. And he says, enter into my rest. You guys don't have to work for your salvation. You don't have to work for that. You receive it freely. It is a gift. You receive it by grace. We say, well, that was easy. I got to do anything. But here's the beautiful thing. As you sit and you experience that God who loves you, your hearts are changed. And now no longer is it work that motivates us. It's that joy. It's that thankfulness. Be able to say, I, I have been given so much. I'm so full of joy. I'm so full of thankfulness. But I just want to give back to you and praise you. I want the world to know that I'm experiencing rest. Rest right here through our salvation. Resting in our lives and resting for eternity. At the beginning, we said, you all worship something. We all do. Even our society, our secular society, they say, ah, we don't worship anything. We don't worship God. We're not doing that. Yeah, they they worship something. And some of these things are going to drive them mad. They are never going to reach it. They're never going to get it. Just when they think they get their hands on it, it, it's gone. But my desire for you is that if you were to look in that mirror, you would see yourself Resting with God. Resting as he's delighting in you and loving you. And just bringing you into your fullness. Who he has created you to be. May, may we be people that, are, that understand who we are. We're the loved children of God. You have a Savior who has done the work for you. You are loved. We live in that. Now we're motivated to worship. We're going to worship him with our lives, with our hands, with our voices, with our hearts. We'll submit to him. We're going to use everything he's given us to continue to understand just how deep the Father's love for us. Amen? You get it? You hear that? You hear his heart? The shepherd loves you dearly.